Well, I always enjoy the Summer Olympics, and one of my favorite sports to watch is track and field. I love to to watch the, the raw power and speed and skill of the athletes, the the advanced technique that takes place in that sport. And one of my favorite events in track and field uh, is the relay race. I love relay races because, you know, there are teams uh, consisting of four uh, athletes apiece, and they're racing each other. And during the race, uh, one person has to hand off the baton to the next person who hands off the baton to the next person. And the next person, whoever gets the baton to the finish line first, wins. But not only do you have to get the baton to the finish line, you have to get it to the finish line without dropping it. And not only do you have to get the baton to the finish line without dropping it, you only have a certain small space on the track in which you can make the pass. There's a a 20-meter stretch of the track called the exchange zone where one runner has to pass it off to the next runner, and if you don't pass the baton off in that 20-meter stretch, then you are disqualified from the race. So in track and field, there are two things happening in a relay race. Number one, you've got to pass the baton. Number two, you've got to pass it with some urgency. You've only got a certain amount of time in which to pass the baton to the next runner. And that is a vivid metaphor for parenting. As parents, as grandparents, we are called to pass some things on to the next generation. And just like in that event, the relay races, 4x100 or 4x400, you only have a certain amount of time in which to make the pass. And so there's got to be some urgency when it comes to our parenting. And I want to show you this from Psalm 102 this morning. So turn with me, Psalm 102. I'm going to talk to our parents this morning and grandparents. Psalm 102. title of my sermon this morning is Pass It On. Pass It On. We're going to begin reading in verse 18. I want to ask you if you're physically able this morning to stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Psalm 102, verse 18, the Bible says, This will be written for the generation to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we're so grateful for your presence here. Lord, your presence is unfailing. It is real. And God, I pray that you would make your presence tangible to us. Father, that we would leave today knowing we have met with God. And I pray that we would be changed by our encounter with you. I pray we would be transformed by the power of your word applied to our lives by the Spirit of God. So have your way in our midst. Lord, establish my steps in your word. For we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We don't know who wrote this psalm, but we know the context of this psalm by looking at the small writing right before verse 1. Look what it says there before the first verse. It says, a prayer of the afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. So this psalm was written in the midst of affliction. It was written to, to express a desire for God to come and help. That's the 
context of Psalm 102. And in the midst of this psalm, as the, as the writer pours out his heart about the circumstances he's involved in, we see this awareness of and desire for the next generation to know the faithfulness of God the same way the psalmist knew the faithfulness of God. I want to focus in on that passage of the psalm that, that, that cares about successive generations. And there are two headings to my sermon this morning. First of all, I want to share with you three realities, and then I want to talk to you about five truths. Three realities and five truths. Number one, three realities that call for urgency in parenting. Three realities that call for urgency in parenting. Remember, when you're passing the baton in a 4x100, 4x400 event, you've got a 20-meter exchange zone to pass the baton on. You've got to be intentional, you've got to be urgent, or you'll be disqualified. In the same way, we as parents have to be urgent. Let me give you three reasons why. Number one, life is hard. Life is hard. Have you discovered that yet? Life is very, very difficult. Look what the Bible says in verse 2. The psalmist says, Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. We don't know exactly what the psalmist was experiencing here. We know in verse 8 he mentions enemies. And so circumstances, other people had become overwhelming uh, to the psalmist, and he's writing uh, in the crucible of hardship. And he's expressing the, the pain, uh, the, the heartache that he is going through. He's relaying what we all know to be true. Life is hard. Now, now listen to me carefully, parents and grandparents. If life is hard for us, it's going to be hard for our kids too. Right? And so we've got to prepare them for the hardships and the eventualities of life. We've got to be intentional to, to equip them for the hardship that is sure to come. We've got to be urgent in that. Because not only is life hard, the days are evil. The days are evil. Look what the psalmist writes in verse 4. My heart has been smitten like grass and has withered away. Indeed, I forget to eat my bread. Because of the loudness of my groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I resemble a pelican of the wilderness. I've become like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I've become like a lonely bird on a housetop. In other words, the psalmist is saying, I can't eat. I can't sleep. Look in verse 8. My enemies have reproached me all day long. Those who deride me have used my name as a curse. And so the psalmist here feels the evil surrounding him. He is being assaulted by enemies. He's being assaulted by people that would, would desire to destroy him. The psalmist here recognizes the evil that is everywhere. And we need to understand as we are parents and grandparents, aunts, uncles, whatever the case may be, we need to understand that the days are evil and our kids must be equipped with truth. Over in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 16, Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we need to make the most of our time. We need to redeem the time because he writes, the days are evil. So parents, our task is urgent because we only have a certain amount of time to influence successive generations and we need to influence them because there is evil everywhere and evil, listen to me, will come knocking at the door of your children's lives. They must be ready. 
Let me give you a third reason that we need to be urgent in our parenting. Life is brief and uncertain. Life is brief and uncertain. Look what the Bible says in verse 11. The psalmist says, My days are like a lengthened shadow. You know what a shadow is. It's, it's caused by light being blocked by an object, and as the light shifts, as the light changes, the shadow just goes away. Shadows are not permanent. And the psalmist here says, My days are like a lengthened shadow, and I wither away like grass. Grass grows, but then grass dies. And the psalmist is saying, That's what my life is like. It's not long. It is brief, and it is uncertain. I like what James Montgomery Boyce writes about this aspect of the psalm. He writes, one of the splendid delusions of the young is that they think they are immortal. No matter how recklessly they drive, no matter how many drugs they take or, how, or physical dangers they expose themselves to, they do not believe that anything bad can happen to them. But that changes as we grow older. There come times in our lives when it dawns on us that our existence is filled with dangers and life is not unending. Physical ailments begin to trouble us and we worry about still other fatal diseases that may come. Family members die. We realize that the time is coming when we will die too. For now, not only do we know that we are not immortal, we realize quite to the contrary that life is extremely short, and we are at best frail specks of existence hanging on at the very precipice of eternity. This is what the author of Psalm 102 experienced. The psalmist knew that life was short and uncertain. And as parents, we need to understand that we're not guaranteed another blink of our eye. We're not guaranteed another beat of our heart. We've got to understand, we've got to take, take advantage of the time God has given us and be urgent in passing on the things we need to pass on. We've only got a certain amount of time, and we don't know when that time will end, right? So we must be urgent. So those are three realities that, that call for urgency in parenting. But let me give you five truths that we need to pass on to our children. So wait, what should I pass on? What's my baton that I'm placing in the hands of my children? Let me give you five truths that come from this psalm that we need to pass on to our kids. Truth number one, God is great. God is great. Look what the psalmist says in verse 19. It says, for he, God, looked down from his holy height. He recognized that God was holy and enthroned, uh, ruling over the universe. From heaven, the Lord gazed upon the earth. And so the psalmist here recognizes the exalted position of God. He recognizes the greatness, the, the, the immensity, the transcendence of God. And he mentions there in verse 18 the, the next generation. So he wants successive generations to understand how great, how exalted, how awesome, how incredible God is. And it is our job as parents to pass on to our kids how great God 
is. Turn to Psalm 71 with me very quickly. Hold your place there, but turn to Psalm 71, verse 17. Psalm 71, 17, the Bible says, Oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous deeds. And even when I am old and gray, oh God, do not forsake me until, watch this, I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. So the psalmist here says, Lord, don't take me to heaven. Let me live until I have ample opportunity to show the next generation, listen, how strong you are, how great you are, how good you are. Look what he writes in verse 19. For your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. You have done great things. O God, who is like you? So the psalmist here is saying, I want to, while I have life, I want to show the, the, the generations to come how great you are. Now, I think that one of the issues we deal with in American Christianity is our kids grow up in our homes and they leave home. They go to college or go into the workforce. And they're just not that impressed by God. And they're not that impressed by God because they didn't see you being impressed by God. Their parents didn't make a big deal about how great God was, and so why are they going to make a big deal about how great God is? And I think that, that we're, 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 we're churning out generations of, of kids and grandkids and great-grandkids that yawn at the thought of God. They're just not that impressed. And it is our job to say, God is great. God is all-powerful. God is mighty. God is awesome. God knows everything. God is everywhere. God's in control. We need to show our kids, relate to our kids how great God is. So what does this look like practically when you parent? Let me give you a few thoughts. You're out and about and the sun is setting and the sky is beautiful with all these different colors. Stop and point it out. And, and pose this question for your kids. Who made that? Who conceived of sunsets? Who makes the earth turn on its axis and rotate around the sun so we see 365 sunsets a year? Who came up with that concept? God did. God makes the sunsets. When you're out at night, stop and look up at the stars and, and try to count for a few minutes and see how far you get. And then tell your kids, God put all those stars in their places and God knows them all by name. Try to, try to give your, uh, your kids a sense of the, 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 the power and the might and the bigness of God. We need to let God use us to help our kids see him as wondrous and awesome. You know, this past week, Claire and I were discussing our childhood concepts of God. What we envisioned we thought of God. And we both came to this conclusion. Growing up as children, we kind of both envisioned God as this grandfatherly type figure, gray beard, gray hair, sitting up in heaven, kind of on a rocking chair, kind of watching over things benevolently. And that was kind of our concept of God. 
Now, that wasn't explicitly taught to us. It was just kind of the, the, the formulation we, uh, we came up with growing up as children. I'm, and I'm sure that's true of many of your lives as well. But listen to me. The Bible says that no man's seen God at any time. He's a spirit. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So listen, we cannot say this is what God looks like. Nobody can say that. But we know what he is like by looking at the works of his hands. And so our job is to marvel at his mighty works so we can be reminded of the kind of God he is. And so let God use you to relate to your kids, God is great. There is none like him. Let's cast a vision for our kids and a vision for our grandkids that shows people that God is awesome. That's a need in our day. Secondly, another truth we need to pass on to our kids is this. His word is true and should be taken seriously. His word is true and should be taken seriously. When our kids leave our home, they should know that God is great and they should know that his word is truth and should be taken seriously. Look what it says in Psalm 102, verse 18. The psalmist writes, This will be written for the generation to come. Or another translation is, Let this be written for the generation to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. So the psalmist here is saying, I want some things written down so that, so that successive generations can learn how great God is. Now, here's the reality. God has written some things down. Amen? It's called the Bible. Genesis to Revelation. And the Bible is God's holy, inerrant, inspired, infallible word. God took human instruments and breathed through them so that when they were writing these things down, they were writing the very words of God. That's what the Bible is. It is the word of God. Truth with no mixture of error. And one of our primary responsibilities as parents is to teach our kids this is God's word. It is true. You need to take it seriously. You ignore it at your own peril. The psalmist here says, I want some things to be written down so generations to come may praise the Lord. Well, God has answered that desire of the psalmist he has given us the 66 books of the bible now how do we how do we teach this to our kids that god's word is true and needs to be taken seriously let me give you three thoughts here first of all our children need to see us taking the word seriously they need to see us taking the word seriously if if they don't see us excited about the bible why should we think they'll be excited about the bible if they never see us listen to me carefully if they never see us reading our Bible at home, then why would we think they're going to read their Bible in the dorm room or in the apartment when they leave your home? What impetus would they have to read the Bible if they never saw that modeled growing up? And so if we want our kids to take the Bible seriously, we need to take the Bible seriously. Let me give you this quote from Ted and Margie Tripp, their wonderful book called Instructing a Child's Heart. Listen to what they write about this issue. They write, we must teach our children to love the scriptures. We must teach that promises, the promises along with the warnings. We must teach the perfect sacrifice of Christ for sin 
along with the description of our sinfulness. We must let our children hear how God's law is sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. By it we are warned, and by keeping it there is great reward. The most effective way to teach our children to love the Scripture, listen, is to love it ourselves. They will see us longing to read it, hear it and understand it, and learn that it is valuable. The best way to teach your children a love for Scripture is to love the Bible yourself. You see, in, in, in life, there's much that is formally taught. But there's also more that is caught. And you can tell them all day long, read the Bible, the Bible's important. But here's the question, do they ever catch you reading your Bible? Is it caught in your home where you are taking the Bible seriously? You are studying it and digging into it and learning it and cherishing it and treasuring it yourself. Our children need to see us taking the word seriously. Grandparents, when your grandkids come to visit, is the word held up as a, as a conspicuous thing in your home? Do they see you loving the Bible? Do they catch you reading the Bible in your home? Secondly, our children need to be familiar with the Bible. Not only do we need to model a love for the Word, we need to give them some tools to be familiar with the Word. We need to teach them in the home what the Word of God is and, and how we're to understand it and learn it. We've got some programs here at the church that, that come alongside families to help them in this. A, a, a plug for Bible drill for our young people. It'll start back in the, in the fall. We just finished up a term of Bible drill. But Bible drill is all about helping your children become more familiar with the Bible. Learning that Deuteronomy comes before Nehemiah. And 1 Peter comes before 1 John. Just so they can find it in their Bible. And understanding the different genres of the literature. And, and memorizing some verses so that the, the, the word will take root in their heart. And, and help them in their life. And it's all about. Helping them be familiar with the Bible. So in our home, in our church, we need, to, we need to equip our children to understand what the Bible is all about. Because if we don't help them to be familiar with the Bible, it will seem like an ancient book that is beyond understanding. And they'll never attempt to, to dig into it because they think it's beyond their capacity to learn it. Let me give you a great principle. It's called the perspicuity of Scripture. You know what that means? It means that the Bible is so in-depth that you could study it every day for all day long, for the rest of your life, and you'll just be scratching the surface. I, my job, my calling as a pastor is to study the Bible. That's the, one of the foremost things I do as a pastor. And I study the Bible all the time to prepare messages for you. And I study the Bible in my own personal life. And let me tell you this. I feel like I've just scratched the surface of the depths of the Word of God. But that's not what perspicuity means. Perspicuity means that even though the Bible is so in-depth, a child can pick it up and understand it. There's a clarity in the Word of God. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's able to be understood. So instead of our children being intimidated by the Bible, we need them to be familiar with the Bible, so one day they'll pick it up and understand it as they read the Bible, applied to them by the Spirit of God. So our children need that familiarity. Third, our children need to see how the Bible applies to their lives. We need to look to apply biblical truth to the everyday situations of life. Let me read another quote from 
Ted and Margie Tripp in Instructing a Child's Heart, they write this. Children need instruction to apply Scripture to issues of authority, obedience, conflict resolution, and God-given roles and relationships. Everyday life, I love this sentence, everyday life affords scores of opportunities to connect Scripture to life. From lost book bags to broken friendships and poor test grades. Scores of training opportunities evaporate without notice as we hurry through our days thinking that devotional time with our children is enough. Now, I love this last sentence. Listen carefully. Our responses to the circumstances and crisis of everyday life make our theology real. So it's one thing to say, okay, Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus taught it, and it's got a lot of good truth in it. It's another thing when your kids come home and say someone's been ugly to them, Someone's called them names or treated them in a, a, a bad way. It's another thing to then pray for them because Jesus commanded us to pray for our enemies. Right? You're connecting the truth of the Sermon on the Mount with a real-life situation. And you're helping them to see that the Bible really can be applied and listened to and lived out in our lives. So our children need to see how the Bible applies to their lives in everyday life. So number one, we need to teach our kids God is great. Number two, we need to teach our kids His word is true and should be taken seriously. Number three, very quickly, we need to teach our kids that He, God, is a rescuer. He's a rescuer. Look what the psalmist says in Psalm 102, verse 19. It says, He looked down from His holy height, from heaven the Lord gazed upon the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner to set free those who were doomed to death. So what's this talking about? Who's it talking about God setting free? Who's the one that sets free? Let me tell you something really, really neat. You ready? This psalm is about Jesus. It's messianic. So the freedom it's talking about is related to the freedom that Jesus Christ gives. So wait, how do you know this psalm is messianic? Well, if you look there in verses 25 through 27, that passage is quoted in Hebrews 1, verses 10 through 12, applied to Jesus Christ. So this psalm has messianic overtones. The psalmist is saying that God's people had been rescued many times by God, but there's an ultimate rescue yet to come that future generations would experience and benefit from. He's talking about Jesus here, coming to set people free. Now there are three ideas implied by that reality. Number one, we need to be rescued. Everybody look at me for a moment. If God sent a Savior, we must need saving. If God sent a Redeemer, we must need redeeming. If God sent a Rescuer, we must need to be rescued. And look what the psalmist says. He looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord gazed upon the earth, verse 19, verse 20, to hear the groaning of the prisoner. So the psalmist recognizes that there, there are people who are in bondage. Who's that talking about? It's talking about all of us. All of us, apart from Christ, are enslaved to sin and Satan and self. We're all in bondage. We all are heading for that awful place called hell to pay the punishment for our sins against a holy God. And we all need to be rescued. We all need to be saved. We all have that need. And our, and our children need to understand 
You're not okay. You're not. You're a sinner. You've sinned against a holy God. You need to be rescued just like mom and dad were rescued. Secondly, this idea of rescue uh, implies that God cares about our desperate situation. It says in verse 19 that he looked down from his holy height from from heaven. The Lord gazed upon the earth. He heard the groaning of the prisoners to, to do something about it, to set free. This speaks of God's compassion. God doesn't look at us in our desperate plight in bondage to sin and Satan and self and say, oh well, too bad for them. God cares about our condition, which leads to the third reality. God made a way for us to be set free. It says there in verse 20 that he did something to set free those who were doomed to death. What did God do to set us free? What did God do to rescue us? He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And Jesus Christ took all of our sin on himself. And he went to the cross and he died for those sins. He paid the penalty that you and I deserve to pay so that if we trust him as Lord and Savior, he will apply his shed blood, his sacrificial death to our spiritual account and wash all of our sins away and rescue us from sin and rescue us from Satan and rescue us from the power of our own flesh. Jesus does that. God made a way through his Son to set you free and to set me free. Isn't that amazing? Apparently nobody, no one thinks it's amazing. Are you excited that you've been rescued? Are you excited that you've been set free? Because listen to me, if you're not excited about it, why would your kids see their need to be rescued? No big deal. But if you never get over the fact that God in his grace called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light, if you never get over the fact that God has been good to you and and gracious to you and God has forgiven you and God has given you the hope and promise of heaven and a personal relationship with himself, if you never get over that, your kids will see how needy they are and they will want what you have. He is a rescuer. One of my favorite songs written by Matt Redman The chorus says this, you alone can rescue, you alone can save, you alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us, let us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. He is a rescuer. We need to point our kids to the cross. Next, we need to teach our kids he can be trusted. He can be trusted, not just in salvation, but in everyday life. As children of God, we can trust him. Look what it says in Psalm 102 verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. So in the midst of his distress, the psalmist cries out to God. Why? He trusted God with his difficulty. We need to relate to our children how we have trusted God and found him to be faithful. How many of you have ever had to cry out to God the same way the psalmist did? Raise your hand. We all experience the difficulties of life. and We all need to cry out to God. How many of you have found God to be faithful in your life? Raise your hand. Great is his faithfulness, right? Listen to me. We need to tell our kids that. God has been faithful to mom and faithful to dad. He's been good to us. We need to relate to our children that he is unchanging in his goodness and faithfulness. Look what the psalmist says in verse 25. Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. 
and all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same. So watch my progression here. God's been faithful to us, and God doesn't change, which leads to the third thing. We need to encourage our children that God will always be there for them. If God's been faithful to us, and God does not change, then God will be faithful to our kids. Amen? Right? He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we need to say, just like we leaned on God and found Him faithful, we need to teach our kids, as you walk through life, trust God. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. You can lean on Him. Which leads to the last truth we need to pass on from this psalm. To pass on the truth that he is worthy of worship. He is worthy of worship. God is great. His word is true and should be taken seriously. He is a rescuer. He can be trusted. But fifth and last, we need to teach our kids he is worthy of worship. First of all, he's worthy of worship in our families. Look what the Bible says in verse 21. It talks about God rescuing, verse 21, so that men may tell of the name of the Lord in Zion. And it's praise in Jerusalem. He's talking about the Jews here. God's people. saying God's people need to relay God's faithfulness. Need to relay God's power, God's salvation, God's rescue. They need to praise Him because He's worthy of worship. They say, wait, who are God's people today? Well, God's people today is, is the church. We, if we've embraced Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, then we are God's people. We are God's, God's sons and daughters, Right? And God expects his people to worship him. He's worthy of worship in all of our homes, right? We're the people of God. We have families. And God is worthy of worship in our families. Secondly, he's worthy of worship from all peoples. Look at what the Bible says in verse 22. He says that men may tell of the name of the Lord in Zion, his praise in Jerusalem, when the peoples are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. So here's what the psalmist is saying. I see a day when people from every tribe and tongue and ethnicity will come and worship the Lord. He's speaking of the salvation of people from every people group. One day around the throne of the Lamb, there will be representatives from every people group on the earth. Every language, every tribe, every tongue will be worshiping Jesus Christ, saying he is worthy of worship and praise. That, that is what God is doing in the world right now. He's saving people from all over the world, right? And if he's worthy of worship from our families and from all peoples, our children need to know that. Now, let me give you two reasons why this is important for your children to know. Number one, sitting in your notes, just listen to me. When your children understand this, it gives them a purpose for living. Why are we here? To just get a job, make some money, have a family, and then die? Is that the purpose of life? No. No, there's something much more eternal that should take place in our lives. We are here to make much of Jesus. We are here to glorify the Lord. We are here to point the nations to the greatness of God so that he can get the worship that he is so worthy of. That's the purpose for our existence. And our kids need to understand that. Secondly, when your children understand this, it helps them to know 
that life is not all about them. Sometimes, I want you to hear me carefully, sometimes because we love our children so much, we want to bless them to such a degree, they get the, they get the idea that it's all about them, that the world revolves around them. And just to be real honest with you, that's how I grew up. I thought life was all about me. My teenage years, I lived like it. It's all about me. It wasn't until I was really at the end of my college years that I, that I came to realize the truth. It's not all about me. I came to realize it's all about him. And my life should be oriented around him. And should center around him. And it's all about him. And we talk about how God is worthy of worship. We are signaling to our children and our children's children, it's not all about you. When the dust settles on human history, no one's going to gather around you and say, you're worthy of worship. Everyone's going to gather around the throne of the lion and the lamb and say, worthy is he who was slain before the foundations of the earth. We teach our kids this. It helps them understand life is not all about them. God is worthy of our worship. Life is about making much of Jesus. Amen? That's what it's about. That's where you get fulfillment and purpose and meaning in life, when you live according to that reality. So, uh, an Olympic sprinter on a relay team has to pass the baton successfully in a 20-meter exchange zone. They have to be urgent, have to be intentional, and have to make the pass. And as parents, we have a zone of time in which to make the pass. And it's short, isn't it short? So short. We are called by God to pass on the great realities of our faith to our children and teach them how to pass it on to their children. So generations yet to come may praise the Lord.